0: Hello, my friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 91. I'm thrilled to share with you today an interview with Pete Grieg, who is the leader of the 24 7 prayer movement. He's written a whole bunch of books. His latest book is a republish of an earlier message that I'm really enjoying. It's called God on Mute, Engaging the Silence of Unanswered Prayer, and it's rocking me in the best way. So for this interview, I unfortunately goofed up the time change and so we only got about half an hour with Pete, as opposed to what we had planned. That was totally my fault, and he was very gracious to accommodate as best he could. Uh, so sorry about that. It's a little bit shorter, but uh, my good friend and pastor, Amy Ryan, joined us for the interview. I wanted her to uh, be able to chime in because she's also reading one of Pete's books right now, and 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 I love her. I love her heart. I love her. Although I love the way she thinks and, and feels, so I wanted her on the call. And then after the interview her and i just kind of unpacked a bunch of stuff and talked about some things so stick around because there's some really great thoughts on lament and church and building communities that are safe for people in pain so stick around at the end for that here we go my friends pete grieg god on mute engaging the silence of unanswered prayer So, Pete, I'm so glad to get to do this with you today and with Amy, my best friend and pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been sort of trying to situate myself. I'm, I'm like maybe a third of the way into God on Mute. I'm loving it. It's making me cry. It feels very relevant. I read Red Moon Rising like 15 years ago and, you know, wow. loved it. I, I think the thing that hit me right off the bat was early on you talk about this idea that Jesus experienced unanswered prayer yeah right i had never given any thought to that Mm.
1: yeah he he has at least is it three unanswered prayers three or four for sure he prayed let me think he he prayed that um he wouldn't have to go through the cross he said you know Mm. take this cup from me and the father said no and out of that unanswered prayer get this comes the greatest answered prayer of all time um he, he, um, uh, prayed on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that's another kind of unanswered prayer. That's mm. that experience we all have sometimes where we just lose track of God. We don't know where he is. Uh, we don't know if he is. Uh, Martin Luther said that Christ became the atheist mm. in that moment. There's a sound bite. And, um, and, and, you know, most, uh, yeah, he had a half-answered prayer. Do you remember when he prayed for the, the the blind the blind guy? And he did the most politically incorrect thing imaginable. He spat in the mud, rubbed it in the guy's eyes.
2: Mm.
1: I always just imagine if that hadn't worked, <laughs> <laughs> like it's yeah. just really nasty. And it only half worked. Remember, he said, I can see people that look like trees, which isn't what people look like. So even Jesus had to pray a second time. But the the great one, in a way, is that in Christ's great high priestly prayer, he prayed uh, that the church would be united. And last time I looked, Jonathan, that hadn't happened. So, So if Jesus, here's the thing. If Jesus can live with unanswered prayer, so can we. Wow. And if the Bible can be that honest about even Jesus' unanswered prayers, it feels to me like the church should be a lot more honest about our own struggles in prayer.
0: Mm. I've I've looked at that um, you know, why have you forsaken me thing? And and I've done a lot of theological wrestling around that and the idea that the father didn't forsake Jesus, but that from Jesus' perspective, that is, you know, and I've I've wrapped all around that a bunch of different ways, as many of us have. But even in COVID, I read a reflection from a pastor, I think it was from actually from Walter Brueggemann, who was saying, whether or not the father turned away, we, let's just sh- slide all that stuff aside for a minute. What's helpful to us here and now is knowing that from Jesus's perspective, he was alone. And if we can be honest in our current season of aloneness and feeling like God you've, you've let us be ravaged by this disease or, and and whatever other things are happening in our lives and our bodies and our families, that honesty will produce good fruit. Right. And I'd never spent time in that space really chewing on that. Hmm.
1: Right. And you know, Dorothy soul says that, which is most vulnerable is most universal. And so I think sometimes we need to spend less time trying to solve problems as if God is an algorithm needing a solution um, and a little more time expressing our questions and lingering with those and living with those.
0: Yeah.
1: And in the book, I don't know if you've got to this stage yet, Jonathan, but, you know, I trace Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. And um, Holy Saturday interests me because that is the day when the church has nothing to say. Hmm. um the gospel hasn't worked yet
0: hmm. there
1: are no answers you go to synagogue and you don't even know where god is or if god is and god allowed all of creation to live with that chaos and hmm. that uncertainty for an entire 24 hours hmm. for most christians most evangelicals and most charismatics won't allow anyone to live with unresolved questions and pain for more than about 30 seconds. So, <laughs> so good. I feel like we've got to, we, we got to get a lot better at chaos and mess and vulnerability because that is where real faith flourishes. Real faith is not... You know, this compulsive need to solve everything and tidy everything up as if God is insecure around atheists or questioning his own identity or needing to prove himself. Yeah. If God is, I can chill out. So uh, we, we need to be more vulnerable.
0: So good.
2: So good. So during um, COVID, my parents went to Moravian Falls and they were praying there and they found your book, Dirty Glory. And so my mom read it and she's like, I have to bring this back for Amy and my sister, who's our worship pastor. And so she brought it home and, you know, they bring me back books from time to time. And so I hadn't opened it for a little bit. And so I just read like the first few chapters and I was wrecked and I was I was crying. And, And where you talk about the word becoming flesh and you know Jesus didn't try to dispel the rumors about himself and all of that and so for me it was just like this weariness of going through covid pastoring with my husband and and just feeling all of these things and there you know moments where you just want to give up and and just getting back to the centrality of Jesus And I just found the book was just like everything that was just like the things that were going on inside of me, but it was like that confirmation and that, that, you know, keep going, keep going. And one thing that I'd really love to ask you would be, you know, I've, I've been reading about prayer and stuff like that. And, and it's like to, to a lot of people, I think we, we find, okay, if I give my whole life to Jesus, he's going to call me like some people believe to some remote corner of Africa. And so for prayer, you know, to the stay at home mom, to the person, you know, who hasn't had a lot of time for prayer or whatever, what would you say to like, you know, I need to get up early every morning and just like pray these things over and over again. What would you say, you know, to that, like in prayer, like how do we, how do we um, really get to that connection in in prayer and, uh, and want to experience God through prayer?
1: Sure. Hey, thanks for your kindness. Um, I'm glad the book's connected with you. Uh, that's 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 lovely to hear. Um, you know, I I think first of all that you know a lot of people say to me they find prayer difficult. Mm-hmm. I've had people even like senior pastors all around the world have come up to me like Nicodemus in the night. It's their kind of guilty confession. But honestly, I, I don't think anyone's really got a prayer problem. I think we all have a comfort problem. Mm. When you travel like uh, in parts of the world where people have less security and less comfort, they are more alive spiritually. Mm -hmm. Um, And the story of modern day anthropology and sociology and the story of the Bible is that uh, the more stuff we have and the more comfortable life is, the more entitled we feel the more arrogant and narcissistic we become and the less we depend on God. And I can prove that no one has a prayer problem because, you know, if any one of us went to the doctor tomorrow and was given a terminal diagnosis, (laughs) we would come out and say, I really should pray about this, but I find praying difficult. We, we would cry out to God. So, so Mm -hmm. I, I think to pray is not Christian. It's just human. The, the root of the word prayer is precarious, the Latin precarious. We pray because life is too precarious and also too marvelous for us to contain. It is too big. You know, I say I, re- I released another book called How to Pray. And I, I said in it, um, you know, no one stares up at, at, at the northern lights and says, Am I incredible? You know, there's something built into the human condition that needs to worship. Yeah. And there is something about the vulnerability of life that makes us cry out to God. And the research tells us that in, in North America, you know, a high proportion even of atheists cry out to God in a crisis. So um now, if you want to grow in prayer, I, I, I always think, you know, I love this. There's something that St. Augustine said. He said, thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee. Mm. And um I would... You know, if you've been suffering and weeping a lot, you've probably got salt on your lips. But if you're saying, I want to be hungry, mm. you know, I want to desire God more, uh, I want to pursue him, not because I feel I should, but because I-, I long to, then I'd encourage you to pray a really dangerous prayer and say, whatever it takes, rub salt on my lips. Mm. Make me thirsty for you. And, uh, you know, honestly, if, if you're if you're not hungry... Yeah, if you're hungry, a slice of pizza is the most delicious thing in the world. If you've eaten like 10 pizzas, a slice of pizza, heaven becomes hell. You can hardly force it down your throat. It's not the piece of pizza that's changed, it's your appetite. So ask the Lord to make you hungry. Ask the Lord to rub salt on your lips and make you thirsty. And he will. He really will.
2: Yeah.
0: As I've embraced certain seasons of pain and, and hardship, there's times where I've I don't want the question to come out wrong, but it's, there's times where I've felt like, God, why are you permitting this? Or why are you silent in this? Or why don't I sense you here? And and sometimes I've had a, a sense in my spirit that's kind of like, oh, well, Jonathan, when 12 years ago you asked me to uh, remove all the idols from your heart. So I'm I'm so I guess I'm so sorry but I'm answering that prayer uh right now. Um I am sorry that you don't like the process. Uh mm. it, I I can sense the the great danger of asking God to put salt on my lips.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's 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 very dangerous. But let me say this. The only thing more dangerous than praying that prayer is not praying it. Mm -hmm. So good. You imagine the consequence of living in a universe of um, eternal um, implications in some way divorced from the very source of life and color and beauty and joy and hope and goodness. Mm. And, And so it may feel dangerous. It is dangerous to yourself but it is what you were designed for let let me put it like this when a salmon swims back up the river and climbs those falls to spawn it is simultaneously tracing the path of its own rebirth and its own destruction Hmm. it seems to me that that is the very journey of the cross and resurrection we we push into the cross we push into that part of us that says this may hurt like hell, mm. but I'm going to go through it for the joy set before me. And so, yeah, it it, 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 it often is painful. But uh, and let me say this, though. You know, the father is kind. Mm. You know, like with my kids, I, I don't want them to suffer. I just know they have to sometime. And I hate it. Yeah. And he will, he will try any which way. He wants to bless you into his fullness for you. He wants to bless you into a deep relationship with him. That's his preference. But if when we're being blessed, instead of turning to him, we turn away from him, he will sometimes withdraw that blessing with a heavy heart because he will do whatever is necessary for you to be um, experiencing the goodness and the fullness of why he created you.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's good.
2: Yeah, so good.
0: Do you want to share uh, for us a little bit of, of your story uh, with your wife and situate us kind of who it is that is telling us these things?
1: Yeah, well, um, apologies for my uh, British accent. I, I find whenever I'm in North America, people either, um, they, they, they either say, you know, you've got a British accent, therefore you, you know what you're talking about. That's not true. Uh, necessarily, or they say, I don't trust you, and that's because of Disney, because every time Disney wants an evil character, they, they, they use my accent, which is really unhelpful. Um, I'm not particularly evil, uh, and I'm not particularly clever. The book you're reading, Jonathan, God on Mute, is um, my attempt to write a book for my wife, Uh, We were one year into accidentally starting a worldwide movement called 24-7 Prayer. We started one prayer room that went viral, began to spread. We're now in over half the nations on earth. We're working with everyone from the Catholic Church at the highest levels through the Salvation Army at street level. We've been praying nonstop since 1999, all by accident. I mean, we didn't expect any of this to happen, but it is a genuine movement of the Holy Spirit. One year in, I think we felt we were probably pretty insufferable. I think we felt like we'd found the big fat red revival switch. And if we if everyone would just pray the way we were praying, then Jesus would be back by breakfast on Thursday. And then um, all hell broke loose. My wife got sick. Um, She got well, we eventually discovered that she had a brain tumor the size of an orange in her skull. Our second child was just seven weeks old, and I watched her slipping into seizure after seizure, crying out to God to make it stop, and it never worked. And generally, she'd wake up in hospital. And for a long time, it looked as if I was one day gonna have to show our own kids photos of their mum and try to explain to them how wonderful she was. And so I went from speaking at all the biggest conferences to changing diapers, uh, which was a blessing. And um, I went from thinking that my prayers could save the world to questioning whether they could save my own wife. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I realized I I have a dual temptation right now. On one hand, I was sometimes tempted to be superficial and pretend that I was fine when I wasn't to do stuff like this interview and say yeah yeah, god's good and you know trot out all the lines say all the things you're supposed to say and it just wasn't true in my experience i was in too much pain so there was a temptation to be superficial but there was also a real temptation to become cynical and doubt all the good things god had done in my life and question even his existence and just quit and I realised the only path of sanity moving forward was to live with paradox, mm. a reality that understood that God does do miracles, but as C.S. Lewis says, they're not nearly as common as we as we would like. And um, and so you know, when Sammy was spending years in hospital, um, she was she tried to find books to help her. And she couldn't find what she was looking for. There were heavy uh, theological tomes on suffering, and she was just too unwell to, you know, do all that. And then there were kind of popular Christian paperbacks full of just trite, like, answers that were too easy to be true. Uh, Like, they were like the literary equivalent of kind of Instagram memes, you know, And, and she said, "Please, will you write something that treats me as intelligent, but doesn't require me to have a PhD? Mm. And um, and if it could just sit on my hospital bedside table by a cappuccino and a copy of a women's magazine, then I'll be happy." So, that that's why I wrote God on mute, and it it came out I don't know 15 years ago or something, and I probably still get an email at least every week from someone saying it either has brought them back to faith in Jesus or it stopped them quitting their faith when hard times came. And we have just re-released it, Jonathan, um, with a foreword from the Archbishop of Canterbury who leads the third largest denomination on earth and a study guide. Because I think in the wake of coronavirus, when we know the stats show that millions turn to prayer, yeah. um, but now millions are going to be asking why did my loved one still die? Why did I lose my job? Um, And 101 other questions. And we felt like it was probably an important time to re-release the book to try and help people to navigate the massive questions that are being asked by people in every single church in the Western world right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. I love the way you've laid it out around the the passion and and the events of the cross and the resurrection. Mm -hmm um that's felt very real, very thing that I can connect with like you were saying earlier with Holy Saturday that that we rush through things and, and I mean we're we're charismatic. we're in a raucous Holy Spirit church and it often feels like spiritual bypassing is the only tool we were taught for painful difficult things. Mm.
1: Um, and yet and yet the word Israel means the struggle. So you are baptized into the struggle. And, uh, you know, Jacob wrestles with the angel. Jesus, like we said earlier, still lives with unanswered prayer. And the thing that does my head in is that the church is less honest about the questions Mm. than the Bible is. Yeah. Bible, it's incredible what they didn't redact from the text. Like if you if you were trying to write a book to start a religion, you'd remove some of those. Yep. And the fact that it's in, I just wrote a devotional yesterday. I was writing a devotional. We have a devotional called Lexio 365. We have sixty thousand daily users. Um uh, and yesterday. We were we, we writing a week's worth of content on Psalm 137, which is that psalm that starts by the rivers of Babylon. I sat down and wept, you know, how can I sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? It's a great, great psalm. But you may know that verse eight and nine, uh, preachers skip over, like people miss out. It ends saying, please, will you, a happy is the person who bashes out the brains of our enemies' babies on a rock. Yeah. You know, that's verse nine, Psalm 137. And and I said to the guys, We can't we can't skip that over. So you literally I spent yesterday afternoon writing a devotional on Psalm 137, verse 9, yeah. and on rage and on the times where we pray in ungodly and unbiblical ways, and God can handle it. Mm. Um And so, yeah, we we need to be as honest as the Bible. And since we churches should be environments where people can bring their mess and bring their questions and bring their chaos and where they don't feel they have to pretend. But too often it's the exact reverse.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow.
2: Mm. Yeah, I find in church culture, we get stuck in in routines and in doing what we've always known. But in the pandemic, we're rethinking so much. What would you say into that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're having to rethink everything, aren't we? Yeah.
2: Um, you
1: know, we always used to say, do you remember we always used to say uh, you know, if if you didn't have a building, you didn't have a meeting on Sunday and they locked up the pastor, what would be left of your church? Or sometimes people framed it as um if your church ceased to exist, would the society in which you know, would your town or your city make notice? Would they care? And I think uh COVID-19 has has brought that reality to us mm-hmm. obviously not being able to meet in the normal ways and yet the need for the mission of the church greater than ever yeah uh you know to bind up the broken-hearted to cancel debts to you know care for the lonely um and of course an extraordinary precedent in church history of how the people of god did not flee the great plagues in carthage and other places but stayed and And were those who ministered to the sick and the dying because they believed in eternity. And a disproportionate number, of course, of frontline workers, doctors and nurses and so on are Christians. Christians Mm -hmm. are are, are more likely to go into the caring professions uh, for obvious reasons. So uh, I think churches, you know, have had to move online. Some people have been saying, well, the future is online church. It's going to be like Amazon. Uh, you know, with just some local outlets. For a while, we began to think, is that true? And then we ended up saying, no, it can't be true. And if it is true, we'll fight it. Yeah. Um, you know, church has to be family. It has to be community. It has to be rooted in real neighborhoods. Um, you can't minister. You may be able to disseminate a talk, and take up an offering digitally but you cannot love the lonely digitally you Mm -hmm. know you cannot wash feet digitally um you're going to struggle to share communion digitally you're going to struggle to baptize digitally so the absolute fundamentals of our faith will be taken from us if we buy into the lie that we are the equivalent of um an online consumer experience we are a community we're a family we're a meal table um and the church has to be local and so i'm going to fight for this or i'm going to go down die, you know trying so um to me that's a non-negotiable jesus didn't you know jesus didn't do a zoom call from heaven he came And it was highly risky. It actually got him killed. You know, (laughs) it seems to me. I'm not saying that we, please hear me, I'm not saying that we ignore uh, medical science and government guidelines. The people are saying that because we're Christians we shouldn't wear masks, just need to get a brain. Uh, Clearly, as Christians, we are not immune. From stuff that happens. You know, the financial markets go up and down, Christians are not immune. You drop a hammer, it lands on your toe. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, gravity applies. These things apply to us. We're not immune. So we need to be sensible. But we must fight for real community. And I believe this is going to be. An extraordinary time for the church. In the UK, 3 million people turn to prayer through this crisis. The 24-7 prayer movement has never been busier. Demand for our resources has gone through the roof. Uh, The Alpha Course, through which millions have come to know Jesus around the world, uh, has at least doubled in size through this crisis Mm -hmm. for three reasons. One, people are suddenly asking, what's life really about? Uh, I poured my whole world into building a startup and now is nothing. I, 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 you know, death has come close. Second reason people are suddenly exploring faith is they are um, able to do it digitally, and that's a good thing. And the third reason is that a lot of people have had more time recently to reflect and to think. And as one journalist said, atheism is the religion of the busy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so so this is, this is a good time for, 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 for the gospel. Um, The church is at the front lines of caring for the poor around the world. In the UK, our national government just gave four million pounds two weeks ago to churches recognising that we were on the front lines of fighting the poverty around this crisis. That's Mm. historic in our country because previously they wouldn't trust faith groups. They would rather do it all themselves. So things are shifting. Uh, but it's a very, very tough time, and I, I found it exhausting. And uh, I, 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 you know, I hate this season. I want, I want us to get out of it as quick as we can. Long answer, but it's a big question.
0: Long answers are the best. I mean, we and we would, we would agree with you on on everything you've said there. It's I'm just like Lord, deliver us from this pestilence. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for someone who's sitting in that space of of silence, where it feels like God is on mute, where prayers aren't being answered, what what would be just sort of, where, where would you just start to lean into someone and, and what would you say right now?
1: Well, the first thing I wanna say is this is normal. It's all Christians go through seasons when uh, it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. So do not confuse God's silence with his absence it's just his presence manifesting in a different form mm-hmm. uh, Jesus said I, I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you so even if you can't feel him or hear him the way you did once he hasn't gone away but, but know that this is okay this is normal and it won't last
0: We'll take a quick break to thank my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to Janet, who is my latest supporter. I've got 53 patrons who chip in every month from $3 a month up to $50 or $100 a month. I think somebody's giving that much. And you guys are my lifeblood. You pay my bills. You keep me encouraged. You keep this show on the air and you make all of the work that I'm doing possible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you are not a patron, I'd like to ask you to consider becoming one. I know there are hundreds of you who listen to this every week. If you can spare $3 or $5 a month, it would go a long way to helping me keep this thing running. You can go to patreon.com slash Puddle to sign up. Thank you so much.
1: You know, St. John of the Cross famously talked about the dark night of the soul as a season in which we grow uh, and mature. It's not just something to ride out, something to push into. Second thing I'd say is when you're in one of those seasons and you're resting with unanswered prayer, if you're struggling to believe, at least believe in the beliefs of others, i.e. allow others, outsource your faith, find friends, and allow them to have faith for you. If you notice, one of the great impulses when you suffer is to isolate yourself, and that's the exact reverse of what you should do. Be vulnerable push into friendships like Jesus in the garden of gethsemane you know, saying you know friends watch and pray you know my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death and so he asks his three best friends please please stay awake at night and pray for me and if jesus needed that kind of support so do we so lean into your friends third thing i'd say is this um let me use a metaphor in the old days where sailors used to navigate by the light of the stars, they could leave, say, the UK, maybe on the Mayflower, and, and head west and 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 make land in, in, in America by the light of the stars. We now know that some of those stars don't exist anymore, right? The light is still shining, but actually it burnt out a thousand years ago.
2: Mm, Yeah, of
1: course. It is possible to navigate by the light of things that we we don't even know if they're still there, right? It's possible to navigate by the revelations, the the things we once knew to be true, Mm. uh, even when we're questioning whether they're still there. And if you will stay true to the things you once knew, they will carry you through the dark and they will bring you home in the, uh, on the other side in the dawn. And so, to change the metaphor, as Cory Ten Boom says, you know, when you're in a tunnel, don't get off the train. <laughs> like, just stay true to the things you once knew, and you will come through this season. And you will find that on the other side of the darkness is the light of resurrection.
0: Mm. Amen.
2: So good. Yeah, so Pete, can you just pray for us and the listeners for just this time where we felt in some seasons of silence or that God doesn't care or whatever we're feeling? Would you just, just lead us in some prayer?
1: Yeah, I'd love to do that. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our hope. Everyone suffers, but when we know you, we suffer with hope. And Lord, my prayer for those listening to this now is that you, the God of hope, would fill them with peace and joy as they trust in you, that they might overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask you, Lord, to draw alongside us in our questions, to mature us and strengthen us in our struggle, and to help us, Lord, to give all things to you for your glory, the good and the bad. Help us, Lord, to find you in the light, but also the shadows. And Lord, we thank you that you are not a God who is distant from us in our suffering, but you have understood and experienced every uh, struggle of our souls. Thank you, Lord, that you are not far away, but you are close. And thank you that the story of the cross assures us that you have overcome. Living Lord Jesus. Would you break into the lives of each person listening to this now, revealing your love in new ways? Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pete.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. So good. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thanks so much. So I I really, like I haven't finished God on Mute, mm. but I, I think I really, one of the things that strikes me about Pete and the way he embodies it is this like he's so well balanced mm. right like that that there is this like he said this paradox that actually the only way to move forward in in sanity mm-hmm. is to say god is good god is here god intervenes yeah sometimes it would seem that god doesn't intervene
2: mm-hmm.
0: but i'm not asked to understand that i'm just yeah. asked to to participate and to lean in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that's really stuck out to me. Also um, in God on Mute, he gives a lot of practical tools around lamenting and the importance, like, like we were touching on, like the importance of that sadness and of being so honest with our emotions and our doubts. And I don't know how much of that is cultural, But man, in our space, I feel like there is so little room for that.
2: Yeah. No, it's true. I think, too, like during COVID when I was going through a really dark time, it was like, you know, I was starting to doubt things in some sense. And God just said, like Pete was talking about, like, go back to Mm. when you knew I was good Mm. go back to those experiences when you were on the floor I catch the fire and the father met you and you knew I was so much more loving than you ever expected and like Mm. then hold on to those experiences when your experience is like really dark right now like going back to those spaces and that like really helped me yes you know, and I think it was like, too, like, don't isolate, because that is a tendency, right? It's so easy, and so many people do it, and I'm reaching out as a pastor to people, and I'm like, come into community, right? Totally. And, And I just love his talking about, we need to be vulnerable, and this is something that we have been talking, you know, a lot about, like, we bypass vulnerability, or we say, no, just get back, you know, you don't need to lament. Totally. You know, so it's good.
0: Totally, it's like, <laughs> it's so interesting. They're like, yeah, we don't need to lament. We don't need to, you know, have faith. Have, just just have more faith. And I think certainly coming off that pastors retreat that we did recently, I do I do feel like maybe for some generations before us, just have faith worked. In a way that it doesn't work for us anymore, I think my gut reaction is no, it doesn't work for you either. It doesn't work for anybody. Like obviously, faith is one ingredient in the puzzle. Yeah. But hey, and for me to have grace when I look at those who came before me, I'm going to say fine. Maybe just have faith. Maybe that was the challenge that you had to overcome in your generation. Mm-hmm. And so, so great. Yeah. But uh, for this time, it's a different set of challenges that we're being asked to mm-hmm. overcome.
2: Yeah. I think at the pastors retreat for me, you know, like I resonated with have faith in a sense, but the thing that really hit me on the floor was endurance. Mm. I think I had been kind of starting to get stuck, sure, and in just like the pain and and you know my own rejection or like I I don't know if I can do this anymore, and it was just like that fire relit in my belly to have endurance that Mm. this Jesus is worth it all, like there is a cost, but Jesus is worth it all. And like Pete was saying, like the salt on your lips, that prayer is dangerous, but it's worth it. It's worth it all to come back to our creator and to that communion. It's just like, it's not going to always be the easiest journey. (laughs) In fact, not easy at all. Yeah, But just like, I need that tenacity again. So in, in the sense of have faith, I was like, yes, I need that tenacity again to push through and, and that breaker anointing or like that. I'm going to go after the things of God, but also be really real with like, we're suffering here. Yes. We're in pain and not putting that aside.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, for real. I think uh, one of the stories that really impacted me, well, he, he, Okay, there's a whole chapter I forget what he called what it was called, but it was sort of uh, surrendering to the idea that maybe God has more glorious plans than we can see. Mm. And he shares about where he was, where they were at with Sammy and, and she's in the hospital and not doing well. Mm. And then he shares, he juxtaposes that against a number of other stories of different people that he was in relationship with going through really hard times. And one of them was uh, his good friend's daughter had given birth. And there had been a a major complication, a particular complication that has like an 86% death rate, Mm -hmm. like hardly anyone survives it. And watching his friend come to this point of wrestling with God and ultimately saying, God, whatever will bring you the most glory, you have my permission to do. Now, that that wasn't just what he said off the cuff, right? That wasn't just like, oh, praise the Lord. Like, take my daughter if you want it, whatever your will be done. Yeah. It, it was like he disappeared for a few hours and wrestled with God and came back and was able to say this. But, but even still, Pete talked about the cost to him. He was at a conference and was still speaking, but they could see the, the pain that he's carrying in his body, the, the turmoil which again, to me, is such a picture of Jesus. Like yeah. he's not bypassing. Oh well, the Lord, uh, the Lord, my God, will resurrect me, and I'll go to the cross and I'll save all my friends for the joy set before me. I shall endure the cross. Right. Praise God! Like, <laughs> God, like, you know, like in the yeah. garden, Jesus is in a space of agony, like yeah. profound agony. Yeah. and he's God, and it's not sinful and and i think i'm just still i mean it's one thing to to just be able to come to that point of saying god be glorified in this yeah be glorified in the healing be glorified in the lack of healing
2: mm.
0: it's another thing i think still to get my heart around yeah the thing that you know jesus weeps and cries out and begs for any other way it's true any other way yeah and that, that that wasn't sinful, that that wasn't Jesus tapping out, that that wasn't Jesus like being like, oh, like a, yeah. like a, a bad Christian. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm. That hits me, man.
2: And I think we need to take the shame away from lament
0: mm, and
2: yes. from really sitting sometimes in the pain, and processing it and the wrestling. Yes. Like we see it over and over again in the scriptures, the wrestling. Yes. But yet it's kind of something that we don't talk about or we push aside, but that it is okay to come with our doubts, with totally. our pain and say, I don't understand. Where are you, God? And just wrestle with him, right? Yes. And I'm just, I'm just so, my heart is so for the church to make space for that mm. and to, We, like you said, it's spiritual bypassing. Sometimes we do it too much where we just have these phrases or these christian statements, but to the real person and their suffering in, in what they're going through, we need to take the way of vulnerability and just, it's okay to wrestle. I see that you're in pain. Let's not move past this, but let's feel this with Christ in our midst.
0: Yes. You know, amen. Amen. I wonder how much our, the way we meet and the way we've structured our gatherings makes that difficult, right? Like yeah. if we're meeting in, a, let's say pre-COVID or post-COVID, or whatever, we're meeting in a room, we're having some worship songs. You know, we usually try and end on an upbeat note. Um, <laughs> we'll lead into a sermon. Now, I've heard of another pastor during COVID who's been meeting over Zoom and mm-hmm. they haven't done a Facebook broadcast because for them, they want it to be private. It's just for them. Right. And they started, he, he started inviting people. We're going to set aside a time each meeting for people to share what God's been showing them in scripture this week. Right. And he said, He said, culturally, whatever you do on a Sunday morning, you reinforce that to your congregation as being important. Right. And so if that just means I'm here to teach everybody else, Mm. that's what gets taught as important. That's what filters through. Right. So he said, when they started inviting people to share what God had been doing in their life, and especially what God had been showing them through scripture, suddenly it began to reinforce my voice and my journey, my story are important. Mm. And maybe I should be reading my Bible throughout the week. That's good. And he say, he said to me, Jonathan, I've been trying to get my church to read the Bible for 20 years. And suddenly by actually just inviting them to share their own encounters, it's all began to shift. Mm. But 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 accompanied by their stories.
2: Mm, it's so good.
0: And so I wonder if there's some even just practically that we can tweak in mm-hmm. the the order of service, like the way that we do church. Yeah. We've talked about having in-process testimonies, but yeah. but it's hard to figure out how to facilitate that. We haven't cracked that yet.
2: Yeah, it's true. I love that, though. Like, it's always been like, oh you know, in the Bible, one brought a song, one brought a song, mm. one, you know, and it's just like how do you – it is really like, God, give us a tool, show us how to do that. Yes. I love that idea.
0: Yeah. How do we – how do we practically welcome lament into our communities understanding that not everybody will be in a season of lament right but but like creating that welcome space yeah good challenge
2: yeah because I think as a pastor like most people who know me I'm quite a vulnerable person and I'll get up on Sunday and be like hey this message I'm struggling with too or this have been my struggles and then I have a number of people who will come up and say, Oh, Amy, I'm so sorry. You felt that way. Like, don't feel that way. You're amazing. You're awesome. And I'm like, I know I am. I know that God loves me, but I I want to be real with you guys and my struggles, but it's so easy that we don't want others to feel bad at all. And that's another thing in our culture, right? We, we don't want anyone to feel bad. And it's this thing that I think, I don't know if it's more North American or what, but this just like, let's all be happy. Yeah. But that's not a reality. And so then we go to church and we just smile and be happy. And so I've worked on like when people are like, hey, me at church, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm not like, I'm great. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: You know, and working through that.
0: Yeah. Unless you are great. like Exactly. Great. Exactly. It, but I'm
2: doing really good this week.
0: <laughs> totally. It's challenging, right? Because, yeah, even if we were to create a space where people are welcome to share their stories. mm mm-hmm some of those people are going to walk back down to their seats and people sitting beside them are going to go, Oh, don't feel that way. Jesus says you're an overcomer. Just own it. Mm -hmm. You know, or they're going to say, I'm still battling this sickness. And they're going to, and people are going to say things like, no, you're not sick. You're healed. It's just the symptoms haven't caught up with your heavenly reality. And I'm like, can you step off with that BS? like i know these people are so well-meaning yes i know and and, yes. and and their desire is that we live in the fullness of what of spiritual life that god in christ has for us and i and i get that so yeah it's kind of like yeah even if we create a space mm. there's a risk that people are going to experience more of that kind of bypass language uh, uh, unless um, yeah i mean obviously the whole community needs to move towards and this is not just actors i think this is you know, this is everybody um, moving towards that space of welcoming suffering. Yeah. And I mean, there's very valid reasons why we're not comfortable with it, right? Like, mm-hmm. it reminds us of our own pain and that we want to move past quickly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no shame.
2: Yeah. I think I, I remember a time when we had a leaders meeting and one of our leaders shared, you know, I'm really struggling with in the Christian faith, I can never do enough. And so then all, most of the leaders in the room began to say like, you know, you're, you are enough and you do enough and look <laughs> at all the things you do. And we watched that person completely shut down. And so again and again, we've been trying to form our culture to like, Vulnerability is not a teaching moment. When that's someone's it. vulnerable, it's not a teaching moment. It's a time to listen to come alongside them and say I'm here. That's I, I and and so that's been something that we've been really trying to press through and shape in our culture, which is so important because you know, when you're vulnerable and someone tries to just push you through it, right? It just doesn't help.
0: That's it. <laughs> but it I think
2: help. like we were saying like it's what they've known.
0: Yeah.
2: It's the culture in our previous generation too, where it is, maybe it was that, you know, they needed that. We need to just push through. We need to push through. Yeah. But it's just like, there has to be that balance.
0: Yes. Amen. So thankful for guys like Pete who Mm. are carrying that balance so well. It's true. Message after message where it's like pressing in prayer. And then also like it's normal. To not hear back, you know, it's normal to be the leader of a of a massive worldwide prayer movement, and have a wife who suffers from regular epileptic seizures. Yeah, that's okay. That juxtaposition is permitted and doesn't mean something's wrong with your faith, mm-hmm. or that you haven't found the right magical prayers yet. Yeah, you know the, the right fairy dust to sprinkle on the scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good.
2: And there's a story I read the other day in Dirty Glory, and he was um, meeting with Brendan Manning, which is an author of the Rag and Muffin Gospel and The Furious Longings of God. And I was um, child. Yeah, yeah, such such good books. And so he sat down with him over pizza, and he was talking to him about prayer and stuff. And Brendan Manning challenged Pete to he was like, you know, you go in and you pray for an hour every morning, and then you go throughout your day. But how about you go in and instead of praying, you Get just totally focused on Jesus, and totally like just spend that hour just communing with Him, knowing who you are in Him, and everything. And then the other twenty three hours of your day, you are just talking to Him and in communion with Him the rest of the day. And how would that look like? <laughs> and that was like boom! That is so good. And and there's just all that stuff that you know. There's so many sound bites in his books where I'm just like okay, I'm just going to read this paragraph and reread that for the next three days.
0: Seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're big. Like, like they're, they're easy to read. Yeah. But they're like 300, 400 pages. You know, they're like solid books. Yeah. But yeah, so like, yeah, they do fit on the coffee table beside you. Mm. You can pick them up. Yeah, it's good.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think, it, I think the thing that the church is just like longing for right now. And I see the push during COVID is back to the centrality of Jesus. Like, and just you're worth the cost. I want you more than I want anything else. And he's drawing us back to that intimacy. Yes. And it's, and even Pete says in his books, it's not about prayer. It's about talking to Jesus. It's not about worship. It's about being in awe of our God, Mm. you know, because we can worship worship. We can worship prayer. We can do movements, but not be in love with Jesus. Yes. And he talked about how this, a friend of his went uh, and had a pastoral um, interview and they like had him um, like. They tested him on an essay of how would you deal with this situation coming up in the church? And they tested him on his theology and they had all these tests. And after the two day interview, he walked away and he's like, never once did they sit him down, look in his eyes and say, do you love Jesus? What was your experience finding Jesus? You know? And he was like, you know, so many of the disciples would be disqualified, you know, for their tempers or their all these different things. But they had had an encounter with Jesus. And I feel like that's the shift going back with the church of just like, I'm pressing in to Jesus. He's worth it all. And like, I need intimacy to get through it. But being real in it.
0: Yes. Amen. Amen. There we have it. Thank you to Pete Grieg. Thank you to Amy Ryan. If you enjoyed Pete and want to hear more, uh, go and grab his book, God on Mute Engaging the Silence of Unanswered Prayer. It's linked in the show notes, as is Dirty Glory, his previous book. And he's got a whole bunch of really, really helpful, well balanced, powerful books that are full of stories his own stories and stories of his friends. They are really. He's such a gift to all of us. So thank you, Pete. And if you enjoyed what Amy had to say, then go and have a listen to, uh, I did a podcast with Amy and Adam, her husband, who are my pastors, as you know, all about pastoring with the Holy Spirit. That was about a year and a half ago, and I'll link that in the show notes too, so you can go and have a listen to more of Amy's wisdom. Thank you guys for listening. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.